And a very pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Monday night. I am Dave Mitchell, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we kick back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians for the preceding and the succeeding week, and bringing us up to date on what's going on with the Cincinnati Reds and how they've done this past week. And believe me, it's a heck of a lot better than the Cleveland Indians. Our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark? Things look a lot better this week than they did last week for the Reds. Yeah, they, they've been playing pretty good ball. I mean, they, they it's always, you know, you say you should have won this, you should have won that, but they, they went on the road for seven games. They won five, lost two, and actually were ahead in the ninth inning of one of those losses, and Chapman gave up a home run to lose the game. And then they got beat two to nothing and had the bases loaded with nobody out. The Reds did, had the bases loaded, nobody out, and, and couldn't score. So they had a chance to win all seven of those games, and and but the but the interesting thing is, Dave, that in the Reds were in the midst of a five-game winning streak on that um, on that road trip, and over the last seven games, when they were five and two, the Reds have a combined team batting average of two ten, and they still go five and two, which means they've gotten great starting pitching, and that's the thing that's really kept this team above water this year. Uh, because the offense simply hasn't been there yet. Well, it's amazing how you uh, basically support my argument of what I heard this morning on the local ESPN radio station, which always tends to talk about the Browns rather than the Indians. And today they wanted to talk about the Indians. And the dingbat on the radio decided to say that, gee, I've come to the conclusion that the Indians are only going to go as far as their pitching takes them. Gee, you think? (laughs) <laughs> and we're talking about the Reds and how they've got one of the best records in baseball, and it's simply because of their pitching. Yeah, it was interesting. Dave Schoenfeld this morning on ESPN, uh, I think it's ESPN, he's he's a writer, uh, he went through the three teams in the National League Central, and his conclusion basically was the Reds can't hit any worse than they have hit thus far, and there may be some truth to that because they're going to get Ludwig back Frazier's starting to hit a little bit. He's had a home run tonight. He's had three in the last six games. And he believes the Reds are the team to beat in the Central. He said they're better than both the Pirates and the, and the Pirates. And he thinks with their starting pitching and an assumed improvement offensively, the Reds should win it. <clears throat> it's the first time I've heard somebody who knows anything say that. I mean, the ESPN guys and Fox Sports, they, they, they ignore the Reds as if they're not even in it. And they're only two and a half games behind. Yeah, it would be a terrible thing to give Ohio any publicity other than bad publicity when it comes to ESPN. Now, Fox Sports with that new network, I'm kind of excited about that because I'm tired of the National Enquirer reporting on ESPN. But nonetheless, hey, you know, one week can really make a difference, Mark. I mean, when the Indians played the Tigers... All of a sudden, they went from three down to seven back, and that's where they stand going into tonight's games against the Angels. And meanwhile, the Reds, last week when we hit the airwaves with this show, they were five back. Tonight, they're two and a half back, and the Pirates have a history over the last couple of years of falling apart in the second half of the season, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. Maybe not to the effect of what's happened the last two years, but they're still not playing as good a baseball as they were during the first four months of the year. Absolutely, and if you go back just uh, rather than just a week, go back eight or nine days, and the Reds were seven games out, and everybody thought it was over. They were seven games behind the Pirates, and then the Pirates go into a funk. Uh, So do the Cardinals, and the Reds are only two and a half back now. And you're right. Uh, Things can, can change very quickly. I think the difference, though, is, unfortunately for the Indians, when they're seven back, they're trailing the best team in baseball uh, in Detroit. I mean, they have the best hitter in the history of baseball, perhaps, and they have a great pitching staff. Uh, They're playing good ball. I don't think the Indians are going to catch them, unfortunately. Uh, The Reds, on the other hand, when you're chasing the Pirates uh, and the Cardinals, those are not superstar teams. They're They're good, solid teams. But the Reds have a chance to overcome them. I don't think the Reds would have a chance to overcome Detroit uh, if they were in the position that the Indians were in. Well, we've got our Ask Us segment coming up a little bit later on. And, of course, Mark, as it has been over the last three weeks, predominantly the questions have to do with the Reds and what's going on with them. 
Of course, you can send us your questions by tweeting us at OHBBCoHost, or you can send us email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Going into tonight's action, the Reds were 7-54 and overall. They've been 7-3 and in their last 10 games, and they're in third place. But like we talked about Pittsburgh, I want to talk about St. Louis as far as the Reds are concerned, Mark. And the fact is, is that their starting pitching may be the talk of the league with all the youngsters that they've got, but their bullpen is still extremely questionable. And not only that, but even Shelby Miller, he's had a few rough outings, and so has Locke with Pittsburgh. And the prediction has been from the experts that these young pitchers on the Pirates and the Cardinals, uh, these major league hitters, they catch up with them, and they find out what they're doing, and they make adjustments. And the question was, can these young kids carry these teams into the playoffs? And right now, the answer is maybe, but it's certainly not as certain as it was the first half of the year, these young pitching staffs are are at risk, and I think if the Reds have an advantage, it's because they have depth and experience. And it was interesting hearing comments from the Milwaukee Brewers about Homer Bailey yesterday after he pitched, uh, I think he pitched a three-hitter, nine-to-one victory for the Reds. They were interviewing him, or interviewing uh, Milwaukee Brewer players, and they said that Homer Bailey, when he has command, is as tough as anybody in the National League. And this is a number four starter for this team. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he, he when he, this kid's growing up before our eyes, and it's going to be interesting because he's a free agent after this year, and the Reds are going to have to lay out some serious dough uh, to sign him, which means I don't think they're going to sign Arroyo, which I hope they don't, frankly. But, uh, you know, the Reds are in pretty good shape with that pitching staff, and Homer Bailey could be a stud for a, a lot of years to come. But you just can't win by pitching alone. How much has Ryan Ludwig helped this offense since his return? Well, not much. He came in today hitting 143, uh, but he's only had, what, 15 at-bats for the year, so you can't look at that. He does have uh, an RBI single tonight, actually an RBI double tonight, and he had a couple of hits yesterday, so you know maybe he's starting to catch up a little bit. But what it does do, it gives length to the lineup. You got Ludwig hitting sixth, and sure he's not hitting yet, <clears throat> but that's a bat there you've got to contend with. So you have to go through uh, Chu and and uh, Frazier, Vado, Bruce, and Ludwig hitting sixth. <clears throat> And you know that's that's a pretty you know, that's a pretty healthy starting four, and, and Brandon Phillips obviously hitting number four. So that, that those are five or six pretty tough outs you have to get through if they're hitting. Unfortunately, Frazier has not been hitting. Everybody else has. <clears throat> so the hope is that if Ludwig gets hot, it's going to make those pitchers deal with Bruce and Votto and and Brandon Phillips in a different way, give them some stuff to hit. Uh, but if he doesn't hit, you know, the Reds are back where they started. You know, I, I know it's a stat that we probably can't find, and I've asked this a couple of times, but I would love to know what the Reds' record is when somebody other than the Big Four actually gets a hit or a home run. Uh, somebody other, other than other than Chu, Phillips, Votto, and Bruce. Well, obviously it's not going to be very good, but I could – I would bet if you take the top four hitters out of the Indians lineup, you'd have the same statistic, or any lineup. You take the top four guys out, it's probably not going to be a very good record. But No, that's what, not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is somebody other than those four, when they get a hit or a home run, I'd like to know what the Reds' record is when somebody in addition to those four actually oh, hits. Oh, oh I'll, I'll bet it's off the chart. <laughs> I'll bet it, you're, that's a good point. Uh, that they're all, It'd be off the chart because – They've gotten no production from catcher. At, you know, Hannigan and Mezzarocco together are hitting about 215, 220. Uh, uh, Cozart and Esturis was probably hitting 225, 230 combined. Frazier's hitting 235 by himself. And whoever was in left field was probably hitting 235, 240. So those four positions plus the pitcher, and you've got a lot of out, outs in that lineup. So if those guys do hit, 
it's a very good point you bring up. If they do hit, I bet the Reds have a terrific record. But right now they're sitting in the last wild card spot, but they're only a game and a half behind St. Louis in that second wild card spot, as, as well as second place in the division. And, of course, with Arizona in town tonight, they can really put Arizona out of this race and wrap up the playoffs for the rest of the year. Well, if they were to win three or four games, it's going to make it awfully tough on Arizona. And there's nobody else close. Arizona's it. <clears throat> Washington is nine and a half out behind the Reds in the playoff hunt. So, And the Reds don't play them anymore. It would be awfully tough for anybody to come through. But Arizona is, is a pretty good ball club. And if they were to turn around and win three or four, uh, then the Reds got their hands full. But you're right. Being only a game and a half behind the Cardinals and only two and a half out of first place, I, you know, I'm not... I'm sure they're not thinking about or worrying about Arizona. They want to catch Pittsburgh and St. Louis. Well, and that decision by Washington a year ago, I hate to go back to this, but sitting Strasburg in those, you know, when you got a chance to win a world championship, now look where they are. They're not even going to make the playoffs this year. And you got a chance to win, Mark. you got to take that chance. And I think that's a lesson that the Reds could possibly have learned from Washington last year. Not so much of sitting somebody, but going out and helping their team at the trade deadline. Yes, I, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of ironic because that decision by Washington last year not to play Strasburg, I thought there were so many ways you could have worked around that issue that would have not, in, you know, jeopardized him at all, but would have almost guaranteed Washington <clears throat> at least getting to the World Series. And they were better than San Francisco. So, you know, if they won, it's likely they would have if Washington would have won. But this is the kind of thing that can come back and haunt a franchise. Look at look at Pittsburgh. It could haunt them for 20 years because they decided not to not to be a little more creative and 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 deal with something in a more intelligent way than just shutting him down. And look where Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh didn't go to the playoffs like you said for 20 years. The Indians, you know, last year had a chance to do something, didn't do anything at the trade deadline, and it really caused the team to collapse. And you're looking at the Reds this year, although they've picked it up since the trade deadline, or it appears that they have, and but their front office didn't do anything either to help the ball club. They just relied on Ryan Ludwig coming back. Yeah, and it's a calculated risk, and it's easy to second-guess. But I would rather have my general manager err on the side of aggression than uh, being passive. And that's what the Reds were this year. That's what they were in 2011. They were passive. They didn't go out and do something. The Reds should have won the division in 2011, and they didn't. Uh, They won it last year, and they have a chance to win it this year. But uh, it's not because the general manager has gone out at the trade deadline or even before. And that's why this idea that you – have to make a deal on July 30th is absurd. The Reds saw what was happening offensively long before that, and there were you know more options. The sooner you make a deal, the more options you have, because there's more players available. As, as time goes on, and the player with the team, or the team with the player you want, they see what's happening, and they, they drive harder deals near the end, because they know you want to make a deal. So, Uh, The Reds just haven't been as aggressive as I wish they were. Of course, if they go ahead and get into the playoffs and and at least win one round, then you can argue uh, Jockety was right that he didn't give up any minor leaguers for a short-term rental. Well, and the question I have is this. If you're going to give up some minor leaguers, not so much a triple-A kid, but a single-A or a double-A kid, I guess the question I would have is, Will Walt Jockety and Dusty Baker be around to reap the benefits of those kids that they may not trade for somebody that could win them a title now? Who knows? It depends who you trade. Uh, But the the other thing the Reds have going against them is they don't have a very solid uh, AA and AAA team. Their talent, although they moved Stevenson up to AA now, so obviously he's a stud, but the Reds don't have a great farm system right now. And hopefully some of these young kids they have in the lower minors will move up next year and the year after, and they'll have some trading chips. But right now they don't. So unless you want to give up Billy Hamilton, 
or you, you want to give up Robert Stevenson, which they do not. I, I don't know there's a player out there that they would trade Robertson, Steve, Robert Stevenson for. Uh, he, he is, man, that kid can throw. And, you know, barring injury, he, he's going to be better than Homer Bailey, in my opinion. And he could be in the rotation in two or three years. Well, the Indians, on the other hand, went 3-3 three and three on the week, which may not seem too bad. But nonetheless, they're 66-58 and 58 overall. They were 4-6 and six in their last 10. They're still in second place, thanks to the fact that Detroit played Kansas City and basically knocked them out of the division title race also. The Indians are seven games behind Detroit, Kansas City eight and a half out. But the Indians are now four and a half games behind Oakland in the wild card chase after losing two of three to the A's in the Oakland Alameda Coliseum uh, over the weekend. Mark, this this team that the Indians have, it's a good team. It's not a great team. It's not a bad team. It's a good team. But it's not the type of team that is good enough to overcome mistakes that they make, which are much too often. Nick Swisher is not a good first baseman, but you have to play him there. They can't play Carlos Santana at catcher. As Drupal Cabrera, his focus seems to drift. And I got to tell you, Ubaldo Jimenez, although he pitched a great game on Saturday night against the Oakland A's, Mark, he is the most boring guy to watch on the mound. He has got to be just torture for players to play behind in the field because he just takes forever to pitch the ball. And he's constantly in a three-and-two count to people. Matter of fact, he had a no-hitter going through five and two-thirds innings on Saturday night, and he couldn't get past the past that point of five and two-thirds after he gave up a hit because he had thrown 110 pitches and he was gassed. And it's because he constantly goes three-and-two on guys all of the time. He's just boring to sit behind and watch. Is is that his history? That's the way he's been for the last three years, ever since the Indians have got him. He just takes forever to pitch. Just he, he takes so much time in between pitches, and they can't get him to speed up. They've tried. They've tried to get him to quit throwing eight pitches and, and reduce him down to four. He just won't do it. He He's a lot like Trevor Bauer in the fact that He'll sit there and look you straight in the eye, from what I understand, and he'll shake his head, yes, I'll do that, I'll do that. And then he gets on the mound, and he's in a totally different world and just doesn't listen or doesn't apply the things that he has been working on in the previous days leading up to that start. He, he's very, very frustrating. Well, he's got a – I thought he had one of the best arms I've ever seen three years ago. And uh, <laughs> it's hard to imagine what happens to these guys – but it has to be mental, uh, and you, you would think when you're a 20-something young kid, and they're all young kids to us, and you have your future ahead of you, if you just listen to people, you, you could play this game for 20 years and make millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, but they don't, they don't get it. And I just wonder, of all the sports, and I'm, you know, I'm a baseball freak, but <laughs> the... the a lot more kids are coming out of college now than used to, you know, into Major League Baseball. But historically, the, the Major Leagues are are populated by very uneducated people. And I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but many of them come right out of high school. Or the Latin players come out of junior high school. <laughs> you know, they're 15, 16, 17 years old when they sign. They have no education. And I just wonder if intellectually they understand what opportunity they have and I, I wish Major League Baseball would set up some kind of education program for these kids like when, when Chapman came from Cuba and he signed his contract with the Reds the day he signed he spent four hundred thousand dollars on cars he bought a Lamborghini and he bought something else <laughs> I think I think it was a Rolls-Royce or something like that just something ridiculous and not that he can't afford it but what kind of what kind of <laughs> intellect <laughs> allows that to happen without somebody stepping in and saying, wait a minute, pal, uh, just think about this for a minute. <laughs> that that $400,000 could be worth $4 million if you put it away and drive a pickup truck for a few years. <clears throat> well, and a lot of people say that that's, if you look at the list of, of players 
that were suspended, Mark, just a month ago. Predominantly, they were Dominican Republic players. And from what I understand, I don't know this to be the case, but from what I understand, the steroids down there are legal. You can pick them up anywhere. You can go to a pharmacy and pick them up. And when these kids come to the major <laughs> leagues, even though they know that they are not to use them, they still use them because they see that little carrot dangled in front of their head of a big contract like Nelson Cruz, like Johnny Peralta. They see that, and they decide to go ahead and do it. And I think, you know, without really delving into this, because I want to get in, I do want to get into what Ryan Braun uh, allegedly is going to do this week, but... Boy, you look at those players, and and it is a golden opportunity for them to take that money back to their homeland and live like kings. It's really interesting that of the three major sports, I'm not going to include hockey because, frankly, I don't think it's a major sport. I think soccer probably has more interest now in America than hockey does, but football, basketball, and baseball. And there was a stereotype years ago that the football players are the big, dumb guys uh, and and that couldn't be further from the truth. Football players are the most educated. They have to be the most intelligent. Have you ever seen a, an NFL playbook? I mean, you, to, to understand what you do, on a, I don't care if you're offensive tackle or defensive guard or whatever you are, you got to be smart. And they even give IQ tests for in, in the NFL. I would I would venture to say that most Major League Baseball players and most NBA players could not pass a similar test that are given to football players. So football players have gotten a bad rap about their intellect, but I would I would venture to say that their their GPAs and their IQs are probably higher than any other sport in the world for that matter. Well, I, I'm gonna tell you, you know, you and I discussed this earlier this morning. We don't very often talk about what we're gonna discuss on the show, but I wanted to get together with you this morning because I'm going to go off the, not so much off the deep end, but, boy, I've got some some heavy uh, opinions as to what's going on with this Biogenesis case and as far as Ryan Braun and A-Rod is concerned. And supposedly, Mark, Ryan Braun is going to come clean this week. He, pardon the pun, he's going to admit to using PEDs. But the story has come out that he actually called several players when he was first suspended by baseball, including Joey Votto, to make his case. And at the time, he said to these players that this gentleman from FedEx that handles the urine, that was his job, and Braun got him fired. He was an anti-Semite, and Braun is Jewish, and he was a Cubs fan, and Braun plays for the Brewers, and that's why this guy was setting him up. To me, Mark, that is just absolutely despicable. And an apology doesn't work. This guy at FedEx that lost his job needs to sue Ryan Braun for that entire contract that Braun has left. And maybe, just maybe, this legal system will work for the small guy once. And it will take care of a multimillionaire like Ryan Braun and give up that money because all he did was cheat to get it and lied and got another guy fired that handles urine for a living? Come on, give me a break. This guy deserves some justice, and Ryan Braun needs to give it to him. I, I agree, and that's where I, I guess I <clears throat> don't come down as hard on A-Rod as I do Braun. A-Rod, he, he did some things he shouldn't have done, agreed, but Ryan Braun, I mean, he, he, he was evil. <laughs> he was... He was an evil guy. He got guys fired. He lied to, to his teammates. You know, he, he never yet, because they talked about it at the Reds broadcast in, in Milwaukee, he has yet to even apologize to his own teammates. When he, when he got suspended, he never went back to the clubhouse or called his teammates. just took off. And, you know, he's, he's, he's gotten so many people in trouble. And I think he should have gotten a much better, worse suspension than even A-Rod. But certainly as bad as A-Rod, I thought what he did was, was much worse. So I agree with you. I, I, I was just shocked to hear that about, about him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Ryan Braun got off very easily uh, with the 65 games, and especially when you look, Mark, 
at the fact that when he comes back, when he comes back to the Brewers next year, I mean, they were going nowhere this year. This suspension to the Milwaukee Brewers basically meant nothing. It meant nothing to him because they were out of it. It, it was done. It was over. And the fact is is that he's going to come back next year with a clean slate and $118 million <laughs> in his pocket. And that's why I say, I hope this guy for FedEx takes him to court and sues him for every penny of that contract. If Ryan Braun really wants to be apologetic and come clean to the world of baseball, he should stand up there and not only apologize to this guy, which I don't think is enough, I think he should at least give him, at least, Mark, half of his salary for every year that this contract goes through. But do you think Ryan Braun is going to do something like that? Pardon my French, but hell no. No, I doubt he will either. And it's it's unfortunate that these guys, I don't know where they get their advice from. Because in many cases, if, if these guys who had done steroids or the PEDs or whatever, don't forget when this stuff started being publicized years ago, there was nothing illegal, and it wasn't even against baseball rules to use some of this stuff. And you look at uh, uh, a number of these players who did come clean, everybody's forgotten about it. They say, oh, yeah, I screwed up, I took it, I shouldn't have, I won't do it again. It's when you lie about it that gets you in trouble with the fans and the front office, and that's exactly what happened with Ryan Braun, and it happened with, with a lot of guys that it, had they just admitted it and said, look, I didn't do anything illegal. I, I Okay, I took some stuff I shouldn't have taken, perhaps. Uh, I won't do it again. Well, you can look at the, the case of Andy Pettit. You can look at Chase and Giambi. They both just came out and said, yep, we did it. We're, we're accepting what whatever baseball administers, and that's it. And the, and the case of A-Rod, you know, you and I disagree on this, but my feeling on A-Rod is, is, first of all, there are 20 players that saw what baseball had on them from this biogenesis clinic. They accepted their penalties. A-Rod, to me, I give you, I, I submit to you, yes, he has the right to appeal, just like any other person in this country does. However, there are cases where when people are on appeal, they're still in jail. And I think for the best interest of baseball, Mark, Bud Selig, who I think never wants to make a decision, he always wants this stuff to just work its way through. That's why it takes him forever to ever come to a conclusion on something. I'm not going to call it a decision because basically he went to those 20 players and said, here's what I want you to do, and they said yes. Now A-Rod is giving him some pushback on it, and baseball doesn't know what to do. Why is this appeal taking so long? You're going to see, you know, you're going to see Ryan Dempster from last night, who threw at A-Rod, get suspended. He'll appeal, and that appeal will be heard before this biogenesis appeal for A-Rod will be heard in November. You're, you're going to see the fact that Bud Selig, to me, Mark, the Indians and the Yankees are in a fight for the last wild card spot. And I feel cheated from the standpoint of an Indians fan to look at A-Rod out on that field and helping the Yankees win when you know exactly what this guy has done. And there's no doubt what he did. I'll, I'll go on record as saying it. If his attorney wants to come back and sue me, hey, he's going to sue me for what? You know, but the fact of the matter is is that A-Rod knows doggone well he, he's, he did it. Everybody knows he did it. He just wants to try to salvage the $150,000 a game that he gets. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at A-Rod, Bud Selig should have said, in the best interest of baseball throughout the rest of this year, I'm suspending him. If that appeal isn't going to be heard until November, you're not playing until November. The hell with the consequences. If I believe in what I've got, this is what I'm going to do. Bud Selig just doesn't have the legal right to do that, even if he wanted to. So Best you know, interest of baseball clause? Let him sue him, Mark. I know, but you, you're opening yourself up to a lawsuit. And that's fine. He's already he's threatening lawsuits all over the place. You you can't open your if you're Bud Selig, you cannot open up Major League Baseball to a lawsuit like that. It's it, it would be defamation of a character. It would be it, it's illegal. If he loses any money, I mean Major League Baseball would be hugely responsible. What what happens if he's found guilty or innocent, and he and he's suspended for what? The baseball commissioner doesn't have that power. 
And then even if he did have that power to do it, they, they would appeal it to the union immediately, and they're not going to – it wouldn't work. So Bud Selig – I don't like – Bud Selig's not my favorite commissioner of all time, but in this case, his hands are tied as regards to whether A-Rod can or can't play the rest of the year. He, he has not been convicted of anything, and the best interest clause does not apply to this until he's found guilty. Well, see, I disagree on that. I think Bowie Kuhn was able to stop trades in the name of the best interest of baseball clause. And I think if, if, if Bud Selig wanted to use that, he could say, look, this is not in the best interest of baseball to have this guy out there. I mean, you're, you're talking about lawsuits. For crying out loud, Mark, it's already coming across the ESPN timeline all night long that his attorney is going to sue the, the doctor that diagnosed him with the torn labrum last year for malpractice. This guy's throwing as much crap up against the wall as he possibly can. He's already he, he, he's already gone on all the morning talk shows and said that the Yankees are trying to get him out of the game. Well, that may or may not be the case. That's fine. But when Ted Levine, the president of the Yankees, said, put your money where your mouth is, either put up or shut up, what did the attorney just say? Turned it down. No, he's, he's suing him. He, he, he is putting up. He's suing the doctor. He's suing the doctor, but yeah. he's not allowing the medical records to come out so that everybody could see him. Just like you're saying, where you know you want to know what these guys are on, and I agree. I think they should release what these guys were on, but I think also if this attorney is going to go out there and run his mouth like he has been, hey, then back it up. Let's see the medical records. Let's find out just just who's telling the truth here. Why do we have to wait till November? Well, I know for a fact the the protection of the players on medical rec records is part of the, of the collective bargaining agreement. I know that. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think A-Rod, I don't, I, I don't know what he did. I, I, again, if I knew what what he took and what he did, I, I'd be more inclined to get all over his back and, and not support him. And I'm not saying I'm supporting him. I'm saying that unless everybody comes clean with what happened, there's always going to be doubt. And that's what I don't like about the process. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, an interesting psychological impact of last night is, I think, number one, his teammates last night really covered his back. Joe Girardi covered A-Rod's back. And the fans, when they come home, when he comes home, uh, I think he's going to get a great ovation. And it's kind of like the team coming together. And if they go on a winning streak, mark my words, if they go on a winning streak, they're only eight and a half games out, and they get back into this thing, uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to remember what happened last night, and, and ironically, he could become a sympathetic character. <laughs> it's, I know it's bizarre, but he could. And if, if, if people, pitchers keep throwing at him, uh, and, and the team takes off and starts winning, New York fans are certainly going to forgive him, and it'll be an interesting psychological barometer of what is happening in, in our society if, if A-Rod you know, becomes a sympathetic character in the next two or three weeks. Well, it's like Kirk Gibson said this week about Ryan Braun. He's extremely embarrassed by the fact that his team lost in the 2011 playoffs to a guy who cheated. And quite frankly, when, not if, but when, they find that A-Rod did what he did, and I think the suspension will be reduced from 211 games to one season. I think they'll probably just suspend him for next year. Then the best interests of baseball were not put into place this year as A-Rod is going to have a say in who makes the playoffs this year, even if the Yankees don't make it. And to me, that's just not right. Hey, we're yeah. going to be back to talk about our assets segment right after this timeout. Disturbing news in baseball. Former Cincinnati Rookie of the Year and three-time Most Valuable Player Dylan Michael has been charged with possession of a controlled substance and failure to pay federal taxes. Michael, 26, claimed today the medication he was taking was to treat severe back pain and was prescribed by his doctor. He had no comment regarding the tax allegations. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also pick up a copy of Mark's book right here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just order your copy on the homepage of the website today. 
Mark, you know, I just listened to that commercial, and I know you wrote this book prior to, or, you know, maybe not prior to, but in the middle of, of what was going on after the McGuire and Sosa situation. Mm-hmm. But how much did that have to do with, with what you wrote in the book? Well, the it has something to do with it, but in, in the case of my character in the book, he was prescribed legal drugs by his own doctor, over, you know, uh, things you can buy off the off the shelf. And uh, he took too many of them, and that got him in trouble. So, But it did have an impact on my story because I knew what had happened with Sosa and, and McGuire and others. And, uh, you know, and, and piggybacking on that, um, this idea of suspensions, I, I think there's a better way to handle this. And wh- why not tell Ryan Braun, okay, and, and all these guys, you know what, you can play starting tomorrow, but your suspension, let's say it's 100 games, the money that you are not going to get or, or, or you're going to get, rather than us not allowing you to play, that money goes into a fund for retired baseball players. Do something with that money. So in other words, Ryan Braun, you can play. You can play tomorrow, but you can't get paid for 100 games. And that money has to go to a charity of some kind. Wouldn't that be a better application of those dollars? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, okay, let's do but it. But I also think... Part, pardon? Let's do it. Well, I'd love to do it under the best interest of baseball clause. <laughs> but here's the problem. You still allow Braun to collect on $118 million. You still allow A-Rod to collect on whatever his contract. I heard the other day it's four more years at $8 million. Um, but I think that's after he he would come back from the suspension. I'm not sure what he's making the rest of this year and all of next year. Um, you know, they still are able to cash in on those contracts. And I think until the union and baseball come together and decide that, hey, if you test positive, maybe not once, but let's say twice, then your contract is null and void. That's But that's my point. Uh, that money, rather than it, the, the player getting that money eventually because of the length of their contract, they can play immediately. They, that money, though, that they get from the club goes directly to a charity. But only it, for the amount of time that they're on suspension, right? Yes, right. So if, if Ryan Braun is supposed to get another, I don't know, 60 or $70 million this year, whatever the hell it was, it was a lot of money, and... Okay, Ryan, you can finish out the season. Your team won't be without you, but all the money you're going to make during the suspension time goes to a charity. Yeah, but that's fine. But what about the money that he's going to make after the suspension? Well, he's, he's going to make that anyway. That's what my point is. Until they, until they decide, until the union and baseball get together and decide that, you know, if you get caught once, okay, apply your system, but after if you get caught twice then your contract is null and void. Well, that, that, that's a different argument, and you're, not, you're never, ever going to get the union to agree with that. But this idea of suspending these guys and not doing something positive with the money and, and hurting their team and their teammates and their fans, make them go play. If they want to play, they can play, but they just won't get paid. Well, it's time for our Ask Us segment. This is where you, the fans, Ask Mark and I questions about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. You can send in your questions via the Twitter by uh, just addressing it to at OHBBCoHost, or you can send us an email via askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, the first question tonight is about the Reds, and predominantly the questions have been about the Reds over the last three weeks, and this comes from RedsFan14. And the question is, where is Johnny Cueto? Johnny Cueto, I heard today, uh, has not even started long tossing yet. He's done for the year. I mean, they're they're not going to risk bringing him back. They don't. Frankly, they don't need him. Uh, their their starting pitching has been outstanding, and you, you don't want to risk an asset like that. Apparently, he works out every day. He lifts weights. He runs steps. He's in great shape. 
but he's not in pitching shape. And here we are in the middle of August, and for a starting pitcher, he would have to start throwing immediately, even to be ready by late September. And they're, they're not going to risk it. And uh, it's unfortunate, but this kind of injury could, could haunt him for, for the rest of his career. Mark, uh, also coming from PR Gambler, which I think is kind of a <clears throat> sick nickname, but nonetheless, uh, who will be the catcher next year for the Reds? Hannigan, Mesoraco, or someone else? Oh, it'll be Mesoraco. Uh, he's probably improved more than any other player on the Reds team this year. Uh, he, he's not where he ought to be defensively yet. His throwing is, is not good. He, he takes too long to get out of the box. But hitting-wise, handling the pitchers, he's gotten much, much better. He, he's the catcher of the future. And this is a guy, I'll tell you what, I went down and saw them play. And Devin Mesoraco is a big dude. He's, he is a big boy. And he's, he's still young. I think he's only 23. And he, he, I think he's going to be around for a long time. And he has the kind of personality that could be the leader of this team needs. But it's hard to lead when you're hitting 210 and, you know, two home runs and 16 RBIs, but he's having a pretty good year. He's hitting 250, 255. I think he's got, what, eight or nine home runs. He'll drive in 45 or 50 runs this year. And he's really stepped up when Hannigan was down, and it definitely will be Mesoraco catching most of the games next year. But you've got a great backup in, in Ryan Hannigan. So I'm okay with the catching. I, Hannigan's been hurt all year. He should have a better year next year. So I think the Reds are in pretty good shape behind the plate. Well, along the same vein as Johnny Cueto, uh, Engine1995 asks me, what is going on with Josh Tomlin? I haven't heard anything on him this year. Well, it's funny how you bring that up. Um, Josh Tomlin has been out all year because of Tommy John surgery. It's been almost a year, and he just started uh, pitching off the mound a couple of weeks ago. So he's starting to get back into baseball shape. Uh, chances of him coming back this year are slim and none, although he's still holding out hopes that he's going to be able to go into the bullpen and help the Indians out this year. I doubt if they're really going to let him do it. He may pitch a game or two at the minor league level, depending upon how his uh, rehab goes over the next two or three weeks. But I think you're going to see uh, Josh Tomlin back with the Indians next year, and I think you're going to see him competing for a spot in the starting rotation. I thought when his arm was sound, I thought he was an excellent right-handed pitcher. They got him from the Cardinals. He was one of the guys that they got in the Jake Westbrook trade. And uh, I'll tell you, when his arm was sound, Mark, I thought he was a, a heck of a right-handed pitcher during the Indians' lean years. And I think if he gets an opportunity, if this, this surgery has helped his, out his arm problems, I think he's going to be a great addition to this staff over the next few years. You mean you don't consider Tommy John a PED? Well, you know, we talked about that earlier. There's a lot of PEDs out there. You know, you you talk about the hitters that go up to the plate and they've got the body armor on. You know, they've got the ankle uh, uh, a brace on, you know, the, the shin guard. They've got the elbow guard on, um, you know, all this stuff. And the fact is, is that all of it could be called performance enhancing. Yeah, and that's why there's a difference to me between PED, which could arguably could be a vitamin pill, and it, you know a B complex or something that makes you stronger, iron or or protein or whatever it is you're taking. All those things fall under a performance enhancing drug. That's that's why you take it. You want to get stronger, but we're, that's different than an anabolic steroid, which can be harmful. I'm not, I mean, again, I don't know what they're taking. That's why it's so damn frustrating because some of this stuff, I went to a health store the other day and I was talking to the guy behind the counter about it. He said all this stuff in here, everybody takes because it makes them bigger or stronger or it, it, it helps an injury heal quicker. And why can't they take that? I, I don't understand the difference I don't understand the reluctance of Major League Baseball to list the stuff that you can and can't take and what it does. If it hurts you, if if it makes you stronger but hurts you, it should be banned because you don't want other players to feel they are forced to take it to keep up. But if it's something that doesn't hurt you physically but makes you stronger, that should be your choice to take it. 
Well, let, <clears throat> let's face it, Mark. And our last Ask Us question will be coming up here in just a few minutes, and it's got something to do with this. But the fact is is that baseball is behind the times in everything. Everything that they do, they're always behind the times. It, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, review, instant replay, if it's the DH. They always seem to take the long way around trying to get something done. And it's not just Bud Selig. It's not. It's it's every commissioner that they've had, anybody that's ever tried to do something. And I, I know, you know, Peter Uberoth was only there for five years, and I know he wasn't well liked by a lot of people, including me. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was trying to way that uh, trying to change the way baseball thought. And that's one reason that. Well, one of the many reasons I think you'll never see Bob Costas as baseball commissioner. Although I got to tell you, some of the ideas that Bob Costas has, I think, are are well overdue for the game of baseball. Yeah, baseball historically has been rather slow to change anything, and it's it's too bad because the game is, uh, you know, one thing I, I do like about what Sealy has done recently is this instant replay stuff. I think it's long overdue. And so many games, World Series that we talked about today, have been lost because of ridiculous umpiring. And umpires, to me, are getting worse rather than getting better. I don't understand. Is it the training? Is it their attitude? I mean, last night, not to throw out Dempster is a joke. He should should have been run in the first two seconds after he hit A-Rod. No, no. and it's like the umpire condoned it. Mm Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is, it's not just A-Rod getting hit. It's one of Dempster's teammates getting hit. And that's going to happen. I guarantee you, before the year's over, the Yankees and the Red Sox, I think they played nine more times or eight more times, uh, somebody's going to get drilled. Well, and here's the, pro- here's the thing, Mark. You're right. And it would have happened last night had, had no warnings been given at all if you just allow this thing to be handled by the players on the field, but unfortunately we can't do that anymore, you know, you've got to give out warnings to both ball clubs. So now this thing stews until the next time Boston and New York play. And if they'd have just allowed it, CC Sabathia last night would have hit somebody from, from Boston in the next inning, and the whole thing would have been done. Yeah, it's uh, th- that's part of the umpiring mess, I call it, because you and I have talked about how bad the umpiring is, uh, and, and it's it's not getting any better. Well, I might as well get into the question then. You know, what do we think about the, the challenge system that Major League Baseball is going to try to implement in November? And quite honestly, I, I think it's a great idea, but it's but this, this six challenges a game three for each ball club, two in the first six innings, one after that, to me, I just think that's too many. I, I You know, the fact is, Mark, if there if there's a play, you know, like the Little League Baseball World Series is going on, when they come out and challenge a play, there's no number of times that they can do it. They just come out and they do it, and they say, we want to challenge it. They just go over behind home plate, there's a girl and a guy standing there with a with a videotape machine. They look at it. It takes them 30 seconds, and that's it. It's done. In Major League Baseball, it takes forever. In professional football, it takes forever. It's like a guy going in there and voting for president. They got security guards all over that booth. The the referee goes into the booth. He's got a towel or a, you know the cloak over the booth that he. He goes in between so nobody can see what he's doing. What's he doing in there? What's he watching? Is he watching the Andy Griffith show, or is he actually looking at the play? I don't see the big deal of it. I I don't either. Well, no, it's going to take a minute or two per uh, appeal or challenge, but you're not going to have six challenges a game. You you might have one or two. And as we said today, I was looking back back at baseball games back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and the average length of a game in, in that era was less than two hours. And what has increased is not the length of a baseball game; it is the commercials. They mm-hmm. used to be there used to be a minute between innings, a minute, and now there's two and a half minutes. And on, on network games, it's even more than that. So that adds 
what's that? Two minutes, say three minutes per half inning. That's eighteen. That's fifty-four minutes to the game. Mm-hmm. All in ads. So if you if you're concerned about length of the game, Major League Baseball, take out three commercials. Charge a little more for the ones that you know. You know that Heaven forbid. An extra fifty bucks. You know, to the to, for the advertiser. But if they were really concerned about baseball time limits, they would reduce the number of commercials in the game. Well, the only thing I'm saying about we we've got to go all the way back to New York to challenge the play mark. We've got to have an umpiring crew back in New York. Just do what Little League Baseball does and put somebody behind home plate with a videotape machine. Dave, David, it's instantaneous. I mean, it's not going to take any longer to go to New York and have somebody look at it than it is to have somebody behind home plate. I don't think that's an issue at all. It's it's the matter. Well, do, you, do you want to get it right? And I think everybody should hope that they want to get it right. Let's just hope that the umpires aren't going to the bathroom at the time they have a challenge come up. <laughs> I don't think they Okay, will. here's here all right, Mark. This comes from Dusty Be Gone. <laughs> will Walt Jockety be back next year if the Reds lose in the opening round of the playoffs again? Uh, that's a good question. I I think to to some extent, um Dusty and uh Walt, and I don't know how much of this is Dusty's decision-making or not, but they're rolling the dice. They decided to stand pat and do nothing this year. And if the team succeeds, and to me, success for the Reds, uh, I don't have a lot of expectations for them to go very far in the playoffs. Uh, it's a crapshoot if they're going to, you know, the wild card thing, who knows, one game. But I don't think they're good enough to beat any other team in the playoffs. I, I just don't think the Reds could beat the Dodgers. I don't think they, they could beat the Braves. They might be able to beat the Pirates in a playoff game. Uh, I don't think they could beat the Cardinals in a playoff game. I don't think there's anybody in the American League they could beat in a playoff game. So if they do make it past the first round, I would call it a success. If they don't, then I think there's going to be a lot of questions. Well, why didn't you do something? And including, why did you keep Dusty? But how's the owner of the Reds going to take it? I don't think it's the owner's decision. I, I think I don't think uh, Castellini, from what I've heard, and I don't know this to be the case. It's just you know rumor I hear. He was never a fan of Dusty Baker. But when the Reds won in 2010, they renewed Dusty for for two more years, and uh, so you know he, he's going to be around. But but his contract's up. So if if they find a new manager, I think they're going to say it's because of health reasons. Dusty's, what, 67 years old? And uh, he had a stroke. And as I've said on the show many, many times, I don't think Dusty has recovered yet physically. They're not going to say that. But uh, I think Jockety could be at risk. Okay. All right. This comes from Tanya for Prez. Is the rest of the league catching up with Araldus Chapman? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And he's in right now in the ninth inning with a two-run lead. <clears throat> and when you throw the same pitch as your out pitch uh, every time or, or so many times that your secondary pitch is so weak that hitters tee off on it. But the other thing is that this guy has proven that if he has three or four days rest, you, you're either going to get him to come in and strike everybody out, or he's going to walk the ball park. And he doesn't have a consistent release point. And he's he's a guy, believe it or not, I think the Reds could trade. And I, I think they have enough depth in that bullpen. That, and I wonder what you could get for a Rawls Chapman. Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, we've talked about that. I think that is a perfect a perfect deal for both teams. Uh, a Cuban in Miami and, and Stanton up here with the Reds, I think it would be a perfect match. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if they trade him. Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. And we had a ton of questions about Araldus Chapman, Mark. And this was one of the different ones that I wanted to bring to your attention because we have had a couple of questions about Araldus over the last couple of weeks. But this one here, I thought, had a different a, a different phrase on it as far as the league catching up with Araldus. And here's the last question on our Ask Us segment for tonight, and it came from Anonymous. And, Mark, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 
the Reds Hall of Fame voting is going on right now. Do you believe that Ken Griffey Jr. is a Cincinnati Reds Hall of Famer? You know, you and I talked about that last week, and I went and checked his statistics, and the answer is no. I mean, he, he hit 270 for the Reds over nine years, nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, he, he was an average player for the Reds, and uh, no, I don't think, you know, by name, yes, you know, he's Ken Griffey. By the way, uh, Chapman just gave up an opening single to the leadoff hitter in the ninth inning, and then the Reds turned one of the great double plays you're going to see. You'll see this on SportsCenter tonight, but tune in to it because uh, they turned a double play that is unbelievable to get, hopefully, out of this mess. <laughs> but how, did you say Ken Griffey played nine years for Reds? Yeah, played nine years. Wow. I did not know that he played that long for them. Yeah. Parts wow. of nine different That's... seasons and, and, and did not uh, – I mean, if, if his name – wasn't Ken Griffey Jr., you would have looked at the stats. If you just didn't have a name next to the stats, you'd have said, oh, okay, that's a decent player, but, you know, nothing nothing to write home about. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Make sure that you send in your questions to us next week to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet at ohbbcohost. Thanks to everyone for writing in tonight. Mark, we've got just a couple of minutes to go. Um, Albert Pujols, he's not going to return for the rest of the year with that plantar fasciitis in his left foot. Is that a surprise or a good move by the Angels? Oh, I think it's a good move. They're not going anywhere. And uh, he's he is their franchise player. And But, you know, you look at his body type, and I'll be very, very interested to see what he does over the offseason because he is a big, big man. And big people like that, frankly, don't age well in Major League Baseball. It's the you know it's the live player who stays in good shape. And you're mentioning Ken Griffey Jr. When he started getting big, is when he started getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And Pujols, uh, you know, if he if he would lose thirty pounds, forty pounds, you know, he, he's close to two fifty, two sixty. You get him down to two twenty, and he he'd have a great career the rest of his you know rest of his playing days, but. Uh, he is a big dude. <laughs> I stood next to him at spring training a couple of years ago, and I'm 6'2", 225, and you know, I looked like uh, his kid sister. Uh, his thighs looked like my waist, and he is a big, big, big man. And <laughs> I, I just hope that he learns from this and, and, and loses some weight like a lot of these guys. you got to hand it to Josh Hamilton. He's in great shape. I don't know why he's not hitting but you know he's 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 in great shape. Mark, just somehow I I can't associate you as anybody's kid sister. <laughs> I I felt like his kid sister standing next to him. I mean his arms are gigantic. His you know everything about him is big. He's a big guy, and uh, that's what people don't realize about some of these baseball players. They I don't know they're as big as football players. They they're just they get more kind of athletic skills than most football players do, but. Um, they're, they're big boys. Has anyone ever told you that you shouldn't be walking around ball fields in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> just, just letting you know that, you know, in case nobody's ever told you that before. I'll hey, the Indians that. are playing the Angels tonight, Mark, and they moved Danny Salazar uh, back a night. They're starting to uh, fidget around with the uh, starting rotation the farther the season goes along. They moved him back a night, and they moved Zach McAllister up. He's going to be pitching tonight. The Indians are in Los Angeles to play the Angels tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday. They're off Thursday, and then they come home to play Minnesota for a weekend series. What do the Reds have coming up the rest of the week? Well, they got uh, they got Arizona for four uh, this week. Then they got Milwaukee coming in for three over the weekend. And they just beat Arizona, which is going to make it awfully tough on Arizona. If Arizona doesn't sweep the next three games, they're in big trouble. Uh, they came in trailing by five. They now trail by six. They'd have to sweep to leave town trailing by only three. And the Reds, of course, are going to try and blow them out of the water and, and, and end their misery. Well, let's hope that they get that done. And then they've got Milwaukee this weekend. they get Milwaukee coming in to, to Cincinnati and they, Milwaukee has played the Reds tough. And by the way, Milwaukee has tied St. Louis now. So 
if uh, the Brewers come back and win, the Reds uh, will be only a half a game out of uh, second place. Boy, the pennant races are starting to tighten up, and we'll talk more about them next week. Mark, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, David. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Our thanks to you for listening tonight, and also our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. Join us again on Thursday night for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock and next Monday night at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, thanks a lot, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night.